They had stripped out the medicine taste, trimmed down the cocaine content, and Robinson was innovating marketing practices. Coca-Cola was off to the races. Thank you for joining us today as we continue with part three of our series on the business lessons learned from Coca-Cola on this next episode of the Straight Shot Marketing Podcast. Welcome to Straight Shot. Marketing is everywhere. It's around your life. From what you eat to what you wear and where you go. It is a vital part of any and all business. Let's discuss the world of marketing and business as it influences everyday life with the staff of Atlanta Marketing Agency, Reformation Productions, and guests as they give it to us straight. Get ready. Take aim. Steady. Welcome to Straight Shot. Welcome everyone to Straight Shot Marketing Podcast. Zachary and I were just sitting here talking about how he's using some of these lessons from Coca-Cola in a new book he's writing. Yeah, um, as some of you may know, it was suggested to me that I write a book about my experiences and thoughts on marketing. So I'm in the throes of doing that at the moment. Uh, it won't be released for some time because I'm still very much in the middle of it. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I've included several examples from the Coca-Cola story, uh, some of which we'll get into later on in the uh, podcast series. But, Ooh. you know, it's it's been fun. It's been a lot more difficult than I thought. Um, in marketing, we always try to be as efficient as possible with our words. So we try to say as much as we can with as few words as possible. Writing a book is almost the opposite, it is of, the that. opposite of that. You have to expand upon your thoughts and I'm not And how I'm do you not, feel about that? Not really how used do you to feel that. about that? Publisher says you have to have X number of pages and I'm like, eh. I don't know. <laughs> just draw pictures. That's what I would do. I would just draw pictures. Well we'll we'll probably include some of that in there as well. Last episode we talked about the invention of couponing. Robinson's strategy had worked. By now, one out of every nine people had sampled Coca-Cola. That's a lot of folks. It was becoming a household name. He had decided early on to dedicate 20% of the company's revenue toward marketing the product. Now, Zachary, what is a normal percentage? I've always learned uh, that a company's marketing budget should be 15 to 20% of the company's gross revenue. Uh, So... Over the years, that's what we've always, whenever we get asked that, because we get asked that a lot, mm-hmm. that's the, the go-to answer, 15 to 20% of the company's uh, gross revenue. So Coca-Cola was going to be on the higher end of that rule of thumb, if you will. Actually, it could be said that Coca-Cola may be one of the companies that originated why that percentage is utilized, because they were obviously so successful yeah. in what they had done. Uh, but in actuality, it's up to individual companies to determine how much they want to invest in um, business communications. I've seen internet companies with low overhead that spend upwards of 40% or more on uh, on marketing. Let me share some numbers uh, from, I actually happen to, to have them here. Oh, goody. Share some numbers from a talk that I did a few years ago uh, for the Gwinnett Chamber that kind of gives you some, some illustrations of that. Okay. Um, so some of the companies I talked about that have low overhead that spend more. Twitter. Twitter spent 44% of their gross revenue. Wow. Because Twitter's a website. They have no storefront. They have no products. They have, right? So they spent 44%. Salesforce spent 53%. 
Constant Contact spent 38%, LinkedIn spent 35%. So those are on the, the higher end because all of those are websites or digital in, in some way. So they have less overhead, so therefore they dedicate more mm-hmm. towards the, the marketing function. Now other companies like uh, Oracle spends 20%. Uh, uh, Tempur-Pedic and Sealy, you've heard them. The, mm-hmm. the mattress people. They spend twenty-one percent. Okay. Uh, Grand Canyon University. So now we're swapping over to the educational Grand industry. Grand Canyon University. Okay. There they spend eleven uh, percent. Um, who else? Let's see. Uh, Apple spent seven percent. So really? Apple is actually under cheapskates. However, they're. Twelve, Apple. twelve. They're well. They're twelve billion dollars. So seven percent. Uh, you know. What I, I don't mean? know. They're cheapskates to me. <laughs> Google spends twelve percent. Uh, Intel, uh, the chip manufacturer, they spend fifteen percent. Microsoft spends eighteen percent. But you know, with um, Apple, the fact that they have a product in every single person's hands, doing mm-hmm. the marketing for them. So these are just uh, a few figures to, to sh- actually tell you what people are spending. Uh, and there's there's different variables that go into it. Uh, there was also a survey that was done by Duke University. Uh, it's a, the surveys from 2014. Like I said, I put this um, this talk together uh, a few years ago, mm-hmm. uh, but they're still relative. B two B businesses that have a product spend 11 percent. B two B service businesses spend 10 percent. Okay. B to C product businesses spend sixteen point three percent, and B to C service businesses spend eleven percent. So, okay. like I said, it's different for every business. These are just guidelines. General practice: uh, the typical marketing budget is going to be anywhere between eight and twelve percent of your gross revenue. Okay. So, an aggressive, more aggressive on that side would be thirteen to twenty percent of your business's gross revenue. Now, if you want to move faster, you invest at a higher percentage. Uh, these are usually companies that are newer, uh, have yeah, less market don't share. Don't have an established brand out right, there. Right, or they, uh, they have lower overhead. So if you're new to the market and you want to become successful yeah. faster, you, s- you spend more. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, if you aren't interested in growth as much, you're more centered around maintaining. The marathon, not the sprint. These can, yeah. If you aren't interested as much in growth, uh, but are more centered on maintaining. Usually, this is what you do if you have higher gross revenue, like Apple. Uh, you can spend a a lesser uh, percentage, but it's all percentage based on, um, you know, on what you should spend towards communicating uh, your business. Now, relative to Coke's story, they proudly note that in 1901, their marketing budget hit the hundred thousand dollar mark for the first time. Now, using backwards math, right? If they spent 20%, that means their gross revenue was half a million dollars. Now, with inflation, obviously that's a lot different than half a million dollars is today, which means that they had very sizable growth between 1886 and 1901. So that 15-year first span, all right? Now, five years after that, 1906, Robinson, we remember who Robinson is, he signed on with Darcy Advertising as their marketing agency. Uh, they had started uh, doing national marketing two years before, and national marketing is a different picture than than just local. So he had a harder time um, kind of managing that himself, even though that was you know his job. There's a lot more to to do when you're looking at the entire country. But 
10 years after 1901, when they had the $100,000, their marketing budget was a million dollars. So their gross revenue had grown to $5 million, 10 times the amount of just 10 years earlier. So they had some some massive growth. Um, so obviously they weren't going to change what their marketing budget was because it was working. Yeah. So. And so you mentioned the B2B uh, you mentioned B2B, which yeah. is a good segue. Um, let's talk a little bit about Coca-Cola's B2B strategy. Okay. Now, he's mentioned a lot of stuff about B2B, B2C, things like that. B2B, for those that don't understand, means business to business. So if you are a business and your product or service is targeted toward other businesses, then you are a B2B. That is uh, what your customers are, businesses, like ours as an agency. We don't offer services for your average individual on the street. Businesses hire us to develop brands, build strategies, and implement those strategies. We are a B2B. Yes. Now, Coca-Cola is a product for individuals. Which is a B2C. But they sell through other businesses. So in their case, they are both B2B and B2C. Consumers. Right. Right. So that's... Something a little different about them. Right. And in starting in uh, 1896, Coke developed a reward strategy for their B2B customers. They would provide gifts for pharmacies and soda fountains that reached a certain purchasing threshold. Yes. If you bought at least 100 gallons of syrup, you received a porcelain syrup urn to use in your business. (gasps) But if you bought more than 125 gallons... You received Coca-Cola apothecary scales. These are things that we don't even use anymore. Our pharmacies don't look like that at all. No, and <laughs> it's also important for everybody listening at home to realize that um, at this time they were just selling the syrup. They weren't right. So they were trying to find ways to brand that, uh, you know, that product. So they have the apothecary stuff and stuff yeah. to serve the well, syrup in. Well, because the the soda fountains were part of. The process. Pharmacies mm-hmm. at the time, and that's yes. not we. I remember growing up. The Woolworths. I remember. <laughs> I remember growing up. We had a place in. Uh, for those of you that uh, know me from uh, from a long time ago, Back we had a place. Still we had here. a place called Lee King. Okay. And um, Lee King. Lee King. Oh, it's okay. a guy's name. Oh, I, Lee King. Sounds like Lee King. But okay. And uh, and they had um, soda. They still had the, a the, soda jerk. The, yeah, they still had the soda jerk. I think is the person. Well, yeah, that, that does it. But they, they still had a soda, had a soda fountain in uh, in, did your, in their pharmacy. Did your soda fountain pharmacy. not come with a jerk? <laughs> I expect all of my soda fountains to come with jerks. I see. I'm a highly demanding person that way. If I walk into a Woolworths, I want to see a jerk. We we didn't have Woolworths down here. Oh wow, sorry, Chi Town homies. <laughs> <laughs> um, these types of reward programs, however, are still very common. Uh, we just developed one for Napa Auto Parts, where store owners who are B two B customers for the manufacturer will receive awards for meeting or exceeding their monthly sales goals. Right. So when building one of these strategies, the thing that you have to remember is that your gift, whatever you're giving uh, as an incentive, has to bring value to the customer. It needs to be something that they want 
or need in their business, or it can be personal for the the owner as well, depending on what the business is. But it can't be a throwaway item. No crap. (laughs) It won't work well as an incentive if it's a throwaway item. Mm -hmm. Now, you can brand items like Coca-Cola did, and then it's a win-win because it reminds the customer of who they are and it also speaks to the end user because these were products that were used in the soda fountain business and the end user could see it as well. So it's, it's was really, I mean, they, they received something that they needed and wanted and was nice. That was probably expensive at the time, but it also had Coca-Cola's name on it. So it was helping them win, win, win all the way around. My goodness. That's a lovely porcelain urn you have. (laughs) Is that Coca-Cola branded? My goodness. That is is an amazing apothecary scale. Is that? Coca-Cola? Well, we have we have pictures of it, which we'll show. Um, <laughs> and you can see they're actually very nice pieces for the Victorian era. Um, <laughs> they're all about the urns. <laughs> and, um, but, uh, yeah, it's what they you held the, the syrup in sure. that they, they poured it it's out like of a, when, they, like when a, they were making it. Uh, yeah. Because we didn't have, you know, the like you do now when you go up to the, the, what do they call that big drink machine where you get to choose what you want? And freestyle machine. Freestyle machine. It's not, it wasn't like that back then. Coca-Cola freestyle. We'll get to that in another chapter. Okay, so that's one of the B2B strategies that Coca-Cola used. But they also stumbled into another B2B opportunity. Bass Ackwards, if you will. (laughs) Yes. In 1899, Benjamin Thomas and Joseph Whitehead, lawyers from Tennessee, came to Candler, the new owner of Coke, now if you remember, yes, to try to convince him to start bottling Coca-Cola as a beverage for the end user not just providing the syrup to soda fountains, then then they make the beverage uh, for the end user, but to actually do the bottling and everything themselves. Yeah, this would be direct. Like, right. Like your bottle. Right, right. Because before they were just selling the syrup and saying, hey, you guys make this into soda and uh, or whatever you want to use it for. And then so these lawyers came through and they're like, hey, we got an idea. Why don't you just go ahead and make it as a soda and sell it that way? Well, this was a new concept and Candler was very skeptical because it wasn't very practical for him. So he sold the rights to bottle the drink to Thomas and Whitehead for $1. <laughs> and they created the soft drink bottling system in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Now, for Kindler, these bottlers were simply going to be another distribution point for his business, uh, for his syrup. So uh, he saw it as a win. Yes, we have somebody else that's going to buy it. It's probably never going to take off, uh, though. But it, it took off like gangbusters. Yeah. You don't say. Weird. um, Because of the bottling system, which he did not value as much as he should have, global expansion started. So um, global expansion started through the bottling. They were able to send the bottles everywhere. And by using more innovative methods to distribute the product, the brand grew and grew. You can market and grew. This. Now let's let's show some some pictures and we'll talk about pictures. it. Pictures. Um, the the one of the ways that they distributed it was horse and carriage, right? Uh-huh. That this was super this was pretty early on. If you remember when the Model T was invented, it was not you know right around this time period. So not everybody had cars. Um, and so horse and carriage were still being used. Uh, you can see in these where they're delivering from the uh, the bottling company. They're delivering. It relieves their, fatigue. Maybe it's all that <laughs> cocaine. <laughs> they're delivering uh, product to the different stores and whatnot. You can kind of see what all these uh, these look like. 
Um, they grew up to become the Budweiser horses, I think. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I don't know. Horses were actually used quite a bit. Uh, that I don't know if they used Clydesdales with. Uh, I saw hairy feet. I don't know. I, I, did, I blacked out and saw hairy um, feet. And then also we obviously moved from there to trucks and cars and automobiles. Mm-hmm. So you can see this. This one is actually in Scotland. Scotland. Yep. There's a few more. Obviously, they look like the old the old cars. But these were used basically to take from the bottling company to the store. Right where people would buy them. Mm-hmm. Here's some more, some different styles that you've seen over the years. See the phone numbers on that one? 389. Wow. Or the new one, 1218. Coca Cola. Yep, yep, yep. This one is actually in New Zealand. All right, so, and then um, we actually, you were going down to the store by our office, uh-huh. and you actually saw a I new Coca-Cola did. truck. I did. I saw this truck here parked on the side of the building, and it was just stunning, actually. I, I, it, not only because we're doing... Brand new. <laughs> yes. <laughs> not only because we're doing the Coca-Cola series here, maybe that's what made it stand out to me, too, but just this brazen beautiful cardinal red color flawless um van truck thing and then with uh, very simple like there's nothing on it except for the brand name coca-cola that was it and that's all it needed that's all it needed it didn't need a tagline it didn't need any graphics or anything still delivering bottles to absolutely we have a convenience store down here around the corner and i'm pretty sure that's where they were headed um I think, or I have no idea. Maybe they're just following us now at some point. (laughs) So they also used boats for different places, different countries. This is Italy. Um, And uh, so you see boats that are branded Coca-Cola. Bicycles. You see this? This That's actually a little kid. Actually, yeah, that's four-wheel. No, that's a trike. Look at that guy. You know what sound that makes when these all those bottles are empty. Now, he's he's out. Those look like empty bottles. He's 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 recycling. recycling. Hey, that's cool. I have a Coke. I have a Coke and a smile. So, yeah, you notice the, the red on everything. Here's another guy. Mm-hmm. And then also dog sleds. Well, you know, of course. Now, I couldn't find any pictures of dog sleds delivering Coca-Cola, but this ad has a tendency to, to say that that happened. Uh, and then here's a motorcycle. That would not be legal over here in the States. <laughs> it's uh, not road ready. Then, of course, we had push carts um, so that they could actually take the drinks out to the public now. So not just uh, to, to the bottling, but you can actually buy it straight from the cart. Uh, the invention of uh, ice boxes. Yeah, with the that invention too. of the closed yeah. lid cooler. Um, now, some of these methods, as you could tell, uh, have carried out throughout the years, even even today. Mm-hmm. Now, I want to give a throwback to our signage episode that we did uh, where we talked about car reps. So if you notice, the brand is all over these yes. delivery methods. So again, taking advantage of every single opportunity to get your brand out there. Mm-hmm. And let's talk about that, uh, the brand, the look and feel of Coca-Cola. Okay, well, uh, Coca-Cola Red, which everybody knows, mm-hmm. um, started back with the delivery of syrup to pharmacies and soda fountains. And they, isn't it true, though, that that red is also copyrighted? They have 
I don't know if you can copyright a color, but they, I think they, I they think have they trademarked each... it for sure. Okay. Um, okay. So. Uh, I guess I need, to, I need to bone up on the difference there. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, they've trademarked that color red, so no other soda companies are, are, are allowed to use it. But uh, that red comes from the fact that they used to paint the, their barrels of syrup red so that they would stand out from others. So that's where the red starts to tie in to the brand. Yeah. But way to take something and run with it. <laughs> the brand goes beyond look. Mm-hmm. There's also feel and character and the personality of the brand, which can be harder to establish. So they started using a, a, a model that became known as the Coca-Cola, the Coca-Cola Girl to communicate their brand to the public. Yes, and her name was Hilda Clark. She was an American model, actress, singer, and she represented Coke from uh, 1895 until 1903. That's quite a long time. Yes, and they used her everywhere. The Coca-Cola tasting coupons, calendars, clocks, menu cards, mirrors, serving trays, and point-of-sale displays. Yes, she was a real Victorian-era beauty. Yes, she was a so, fox. Yes, and she represented the customers yes. that they wanted. They wanted someone with some disposable income. Fancy. Somebody that was wholesome. The, sure. The every woman. I, am, I the, don't look anything like her, but okay. The, <laughs> this, Not again, every woman. Victoria-era. Victorian-era. Okay. Uh, so, the every woman of the day. Gotcha. American, confident, someone that um, no longer required an escort but could have adventures on their own. An independent woman. Again, that's not something that applies to today, but to that, you know, that time period, yes. uh, it, it really made, um, made a difference that she could have adventures mm-hmm. on her own because she's pictured solo. And, and I would think, too, actually, uh, that it does represent a little bit of what Coca-Cola still stands for today, which is that American, even though it's a, an, an you know, international product, it's American, it's um, wholesome, and it's an independent spirit. Yeah, Coca-Cola is as American as apple pie. Yeah, that's in a different podcast. Um, <laughs> we're going to do a pie, apple pie next. <laughs> uh, now, over the years, Coke has changed the models, but the Coca-Cola Girl campaign mm-hmm. ran from 1890s through 19, the 1960s. Uh, and they represent, they all of them represented the same brand attributes. Now, of course, they also placed their logo on relative items. So on the B2B side, that included glass lampshades, mm-hmm. clocks, uh, coasters, pencils, napkins, Everything. ashtrays, serving trays, um, displays and, and signage, which included festoons. Do you know what a festoon is? I know what a spittoon is. A festoon is uh, if you look at the um, the when you have where you dispense liquid, uh, dispense Coke, that top piece. They would cover that up with branding. That's called a festoon. So, so it's not a spittoon. It's nothing like no, a spittoon. No, nothing like that at all. They also okay. painted walls. Okay. Um, you can see that if you go through a lot of old towns, you'll still see where where yes, faded actually, Coca-Cola signs um, on the side of a building. Coming, if, if anybody, if any of our listeners are from the coming area, in the downtown like city part of Cumming, Georgia, there is um, a pharmacy 
Goodson, Goodson Pharmacy, right on the corner. Wow. And right on the side of that building is a giant Coke sign painted on the wall that says, drink yes. a Coke. Or I think it says, enjoy a Coke or drink a Coke yeah. with the logo. It's um, pretty cool. But so, you can tell it's old. Yep. It's cool. so, uh, so they've been doing that for a while. They also had uh, lots of different um, point of sale displays, uh, menus, Mm-hmm. Um, and all of the items that we talked about earlier that Hilda Clark was on. So yeah. lots, they invested a lot into uh, the B2B In side of things. Marketing. Now, they also developed Coca-Cola Bottler Magazine, which was for the bottlers, and that started in okay. 1909. So like an industry trade, trade Yes, for, for their, you know, just for their product. Um, and they had another magazine called The Friendly Hand, which was later known as The Red Barrel. That, was that sounds a little better. For all uh, employees of Coca-Cola, they started that in 1921. So they influenced not only their external culture, but also their internal culture. So you have to think about, when you think of branding, it, you have to do external branding, right, which mm-hmm. is to the public. But they also knew to do internal branding so that yes. the people that worked with them and for them still represented uh, the brand. And we can see a lot of that happening even with like Chick-fil-A's brand and stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. A lot of people understand that they have an external brand and they have an internal brand as they well. They do. Um, now, on the B2B side, there are lots of things that, that they branded that represented everyday enjoyment to make you think Coca-Cola when you thought about Enjoyment. So these things included uh, Atlas, because at the time Atlases were a big deal. They didn't have, you know, Google Google Maps. Google Maps. Uh, Lame. Cha- change purse, uh, pocket mirrors, uh, cufflinks, keychains, pocket knives. When I think Coke, I think of a pocket knife. Um, well, they were they were actually that's how you open up a bottle. I would think. <laughs> <laughs> well, they used bottle openers. They did, they did okay, have bottle right. openers as well. They also had <laughs> they also had wallets. Uh-huh. Uh, map covers, uh, piggy banks. Map you, you, covers. you have to think about the time period that this yeah. was. These were uh, were items that were used. They didn't have cell phones. They didn't have an Xbox. They didn't have like the digital you know, era right. to do everything. So uh, they also had a campaign where you could send postage stamps to receive sheet music back. So you would send the cost of really? post- postage and they would send you back sheet music by Coca-Cola. Songs like My Coca-Cola Bride and We Found That He'd Been Drinking Coca-Cola. Now, <laughs> I wanted what? to find what these songs sounded Tell like. Tell me you found a clip. Did I you could find, not. Are you serious? I could not find it anywhere. If, it, if uh, I don't hear so, it, it didn't happen. if somebody has a clip of these songs, please leave it in the comments My below. My Coca-Cola bride, um, and we found that he'd been drinking Coca-Cola. You know what this reminds me of? Waffle House. Waffle House? If you go into Waffle House and you look at the jukebox, there are several songs about Waffle House in the Waffle I have House jukebox. Yes. Actually done that. Like looked yep. in the jukebox at a Waffle I House. I don't know how many people play them, but they <laughs> Now that's all I want to do is go to Waffle House and play a Waffle but, House song. Uh, again, this was sheet music because, you know, again, radio was fairly very because it makes was you new. happy. And um, and people would play music. And everybody they so they you'd get the sheet music you'd play the music. It was modern media. At the time. And we found out he'd been eating waffles. Yeah. So, two major points here. Uh, yes, they put their logo on lots of different promo items. Uh, again, if it keep, stood still long enough, keep in mind that mass media didn't really exist yet. 
so they they did do some uh, newspaper advertising. They, of course, they mm-hmm. had the town crier, but mass media on the scale that it is today didn't exist. So they relied a lot on these promo items. But the thing to remember is they put it on things with purpose, trying to make Coke synonymous with everyday enjoyment. It was very strategic and not haphazard. They didn't just throw their logo on anything. Even though, kind of sounds like because it. <laughs> they had so many things, uh, they did put it on a lot. But they it were was very it was not their brand. Yeah, it was not haphazard. It was all done very, very much on purpose. And it's also something you can see to this day is the idea of collectibles and um, trinkets oh, sure. and stuff with Coca Cola. I don't know if any of our listeners have ever been to the world of Coca Cola here in Atlanta, home of Coke, um, but it's just filled with. Keychains and 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 stuffed animals. A lot of this stuff is up for auction. You can go to you, people collect that. Oh, they yeah, take absolutely. people that collect Coca Cola products uh, mm-hmm. from over the years and even newer ones. I mean, they take it very seriously. So I think even at that time, in their efforts to brand themselves, they were setting up this dynasty of collectibles. So let's do this. Anybody that is a listener that has any Coca Cola memorabilia to to speak of, right? Let us know. We'll let you come in uh, for the next podcast show, and we'll show it off. We'll show it to everybody. If you well, like if head you to have, toe Coca Cola yeah, outfit. If you, now, if you if you have things that are, uh, you know, you just they have like a Coca Cola room, and they can't t- bring it. Yeah, <laughs> or, or if you just went and bought it, that doesn't count either. Uh, these are are promo items that I want to yeah, see. Do Actually, you have- not because now they they've made they have a market where they make things that look mm-hmm. old, but they're not. Yes, not what I'm talking about. I want to see the actual older promo if you have any let us know if if you're not local to the atlanta area send us pictures send us video we'll, we'll include it just for fun and Why now not? i have another uh, request too along this lines i think in uh in the next podcast we're going to be talking a little bit more about competition for coca-cola but i will say this as a teaser um there was a, a soda out there called africola and it's a-f-r-i-k-o-l-a africola and i have not been able to find a picture of an Africola, like a legit bottle, not a rendering, not a not a right. drawing. But like if you have an Africola bottle, take a picture of it and send it to me. <laughs> I will love you forever because I yet to see that it exists. Personal challenge. Okay, but okay, so let's take a little break. Let's 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 hear from our sponsor for this episode. And when we come back, we'll discuss Coca-Cola and their impact on Christmas with seasonal marketing. I hear they have quite a tie-in with Mr. Claus. Just a moment. Straight Shot is brought to you by Reformation Productions, a full-service marketing agency in Atlanta, Georgia, helping companies promote and communicate their business in the most efficient and effective ways possible through straight-line marketing. Find out more by visiting reformationpro.com or call 678-825-8086. Reformation Productions. Think in straight lines. Okay, hello everyone. Welcome back to the show. Um, I'd also like to take a quick moment to remind everyone of our Patreon page. The agency does sponsor Straight Shot, but putting out quality content for you can be quite an endeavor. So if you get value out of our show, please consider supporting us on patreon.com forward slash straight shot. There you can receive early releases of our episodes, Mm -hmm. t-shirts, very cool ones. 
uh, Q&A with Zachary and myself and more. But above all, you'll help us continue putting on this show. So thank you to those that do support us. And if you haven't already, please consider it. Now, back to seasonal advertising. Zachary. Yes. Is it true that Coca-Cola invented Santa Claus? <laughs> well, <laughs> yes and no. Really? Uh, let me explain. It all I was kidding, begin, but really? It all began in 1923. Once upon a time in 1923. Um, Coca-Cola wanted to use Santa Claus in their promotion. Now, they wanted to use Santa Claus in their promotions because people enjoyed it. Uh, again, look back at what we said earlier about you know, wanting to be part of enjoyment. So, everyday yeah, Santa life Claus enjoyment. was around. So, I mean, Santa Claus was. did already okay. exist. Just not the um, way he... So, they was. began using him in seasonal advertising. However, their 1923 effort, when they first started, isn't the one that made the impact. The impact was made by what they used in 1931. 1931, okay. So, in 1931, Archie Lee, which was Coca-Cola's account executive at Darcy Advertising Agency, Mm -hmm. uh, directed the creatives to make a different kind of Santa Claus than the world had seen at the time, specifically for Coca-Cola to use. Now, he wanted somebody that was wholesome, realistic, and symbolic all at the same time. The most famous one, okay. this, this that was done in 1931, 31. was by Hayden Sunbloom. Okay. It was made for the Thirst Knows No Season campaign. Uh, let's, let's, take, let's take a look at it. Yeah. So, here is... Hello, Jolly Fat Man. Santa Claus. He was inspired by Clement Clark Moore's 1822 poem, A Visit from St. Nicholas, commonly known as Twas the, the Night, Night Before, Before Christmas. Christmas. Now, it led to a warm, friendly, pleasantly plump, and human Santa. Not creepy at all. Uh, Now, it was so popular that the artist was used, Mr. Sunbloom, until 1961. Yeah. So that is a a very long tie-in with uh, an illustrator. Now, um, you may not have uh, realized this, but a lot of the old um, Coca-Cola ads were illustrations. One, because we didn't have digital photography. Yeah. The other, this is considered the age of of illustration. So a lot of old um, advertisements were done in illustration. So they had this relationship with this illustrator until 1961. Now, this is the representation of Santa that we have grown to love and remember in our minds. He looks like Norman Rockwell's paint, like Norman Rockwell style. Norman Rockwell did uh, did one as well later. Now, prior to 1931, because yes. I told you Santa Claus yeah, did, he did exist. What, prior I don't to, remember life before Fat pr- Santa. Prior to 1931, Santa was depicted uh, as anything from a tall, gaunt-looking man to a spooky elf. Ew. So, again. Creepier than regular we're, mall We're Santas? talking about uh, making a Santa that looked human. That's because the other ones looked like elves. Right, so right. he w- he often donned a bishop's robe or a Norse huntsman uh, animal skin. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, um, I'll show you what um, I'll give you a little more history with Santa, and, and then I'll show you the, the the first illustrations of him. You know um, what? We haven't even gotten to Thanksgiving, Civil and this one's War, already talking about Christmas. Civil War uh, cartoonist Thomas Nast. Okay. He's of German descent, right? Okay. His parents came over here from Germany. 
uh, he was consider he's considered to be the inventor of the American Santa Claus. So really? out of European traditions, because that's where Santa Claus comes uh-huh. from, um, he drew him into an illustration for Harper's Weekly in 1862. So Santa Claus was not invented by Coke. Uh, it was invented. It wasn't even he invented. Was reinvented. It wasn't it was- even invented by this Thomas Nash guy. It was part of his childhood when he came to America. He uh, he showed it. So if you look at this illustration here, okay, this was done. For Harper Weekly, and uh, you can, it was during the Civil War, and you can see the idea behind this is it's really Christmas sad. Eve, <laughs> and the the woman and the children are at home, or they're praying, and then the soldier is also praying. But if you look, so the idea is that they're together for Christmas Eve, even if they're not. Yeah. But if you look in the corner, there is Santa Claus in the okay. corner of the illustration, like a creeper. Well, yet he was putting his own European traditions. Okay, so he's into climbing it. into a chimney, I think, right? He's up on the rooftop. You can even see the reindeer that are up there. So this is kind of like an Easter egg that he put into this up illustration. Now, something, something. again, he did it in 1863, and in that one, Santa was a small elf-like figure that was supporting the Union Army. Now you can see he looks more like a wizard there. It looks like stars on his jacket, uh, but he's giving out presents Gandalf and so the forth. Jolly. So um, he continued. Nas continued to draw Santa for thirty years, changing his coat from tan to uh, blue. Well, a little bit of, now he looks like the Travelocity. And then now. he, <laughs> and then eventually, uh, this is him sitting riding on a goat again. Yeah, because you know that's what you do. And then eventually, red. So the, the the red associated with Santa Claus actually came, um, you know, from him as well. Now, let's look at a few ads of the Christmas um, season advertising for Coca Cola. So this is the first one. This is the first one that that the um, Sandbloom created. Uh, it's and really then beautiful. let's look through. You can see it's a completely different feel than those other ones that we looked at. So um, his his cheeks are jolly, right? They're, he's not is, tanked or anything. This <laughs> this is the first painting. Now this was done around the time of the Depression, so this original painting no longer exists because when he did the third painting, right two years later, it's actually a touch up of the original. He literally painted over the top of the old painting so that he didn't have to buy a new canvas. Wow. So the original painting no longer around. So but if you look kind of toggle between these two, you can see it's the exact same painting. He's just added to it. With hat, without hat. Yes, with whip, without Sad. whip. <laughs> oh, he should have kept the whip. Um, so uh, be good little boys and girls. <laughs> here's a here's a few more so that you can just kind of see how he's been developed over the well, years. Well, I guess we can understand him where he gets his jolly figure from. Yeah, he's jolly, he's happy, he's human, he's loving. She just wants the Coke, and he's like, you can't have the Coke, it's my Coke. He's loving, he's jolly. And and before, remember, he was kind of scary looking. Before, he was like a like an elf. Now, this one includes oh, Sprite Boy. Sprite Boy. Now... Uh, so the little elf that you see with the white hair at the bottom, this is Sprite Boy. Now yeah. we'll talk more about him in the Cola Wars episode oh, that we'll that do. Oh, that is so, so unsettling. more about Sprite Boy Look at this face. That up. is not okay. Yep, well, he's an elf. So Coke didn't invent Santa Claus. Just his look as we now remember we grew up with and we love and, and we 
you know, that's that's what they did. So to it ties question, in so nicely with the red, you yep. know, that rich red color and everything. Yep. And now we have mall Santas. We do. We have just taken wonderful things and destroyed them, haven't we? <laughs> so what about the polar bears campaign? I mean, a lot of us remember seeing the commercials and, and the, with the polar yes. bears in the coat. What does that have to do with anything? Those jump way ahead in time. So 1992. Uh, That's where I live, okay? <laughs> I live in the now. Uh, an agency strategist named Ken Stewart tied in polar bears. I'm guessing ice? With Coke's brand attributes so cold and refreshing okay mythical and magical these were how he he tied in the polar bears now everybody wants to hug a polar bear until you realize they're going to literally rip you apart they're bears they're mean but (laughs) um with the 1993 came out in 1993 the animated Mm -hmm. ad called northern lights debuted now it was also new technology it was animation by computer which was brand new at the Mm -hmm. time uh, and it showed polar bears enjoying the sights and pausing for refreshment. If wow. Again, enjoying everyday enjoyment. That's still part of their brand. And pausing for refreshment, still part of the, Let me Let me show you the Yeah, ad. it takes two things that people don't normally ever get to see, let me show which is you, the Northern Lights and polar bears. Let me show you the, the ad. Okay, let's do it. See, they look so huggable until they blow your eyes out. <laughs> So they're enjoying the sights, and then if you notice, then they, everybody gets out their Coke, and they're refreshing themselves. No words, no copy, simply enjoying the sights, enjoyment part of the brand, and then pausing for a refreshment with Coca-Cola. Yeah, because we don't get to it's see very, the very Lights. Simple. We don't get to see polar bears. We have no idea what they do up there. All we can assume <laughs> is that they're enjoying Coca-Cola. Well, that's the that's the, the, the mythical and magical right. part of it. because we can't um, prove it wrong. We'll get more into the myth and the magic of Coca-Cola in next uh, the next episode. See, that's where I'm going to be most so, excited. I like the magical stuff. Uh, now, let's look at a few more from the, the polar bear uh, campaigns, right? Okay. So, so you can kind of see how that has continued. Still a better skater than me. Because because polar bears ice skate. Again, mythical and magical. You don't know. Maybe they do. <laughs> and they have scarves. It's cold up there, Zachary. You have ah, a scarf. Look, the tie-in with wow, Coca-Cola Santa Claus. He hands him a Coke. And not only are they using polar bears now, but they're using it as a Christmas thing. They're tying both of those right. together. Wow. Oh, it's a baby. Oh, heaven. So now you can see they've tied in polar bears to Christmas and family and enjoyment. So, again, all different elements of the brand that they're pulling together to... Again, represent Coca-Cola. So everybody in the family. One likes of it. one of the things that you need to to remember with seasonal advertising, 
Seasonal advertising was developed to help increase sales during this lower winter month. So Coke naturally did better when it's hot outside, right? Because it's cold, it's refreshing. It's, so they needed something to pump up the wintertime months. So Santa Claus and the seasonal advertising mm. and eventually the polar bears were all designed to make it where yeah. you drink Take Coke. Take that hot chocolate. You drink Coke year round. Uh, now, they developed these strategies based on business observations, Again, slower months, mm -hmm. and then goals. They wanted it to be drank year round. So yeah. again, very very cognitive, and, and that's the thing that a lot of people don't realize. In in business communications and marketing, it is all thought out. Nothing is happenstance. There's a lot of thought that goes into why these companies do this yeah. and how they do them. Yeah, and, and like you were saying, there's a lot of thought. There's a lot of prediction, and there's a lot of forward thinking and not just thinking about you know recognizing the trends that are happening at the moment but also being able to predict how they were would move in forward. the long run yeah, yeah. Well, what, what, what will this mean in the long run so let's do our sum up let's let's do our uh, let's do our lessons as a straight shot okay um so le the lessons from this episode number one Numero uno. Um, we talked about establishing a marketing budget so um 10 to 20%. Then make money, people. 10% of your gross revenue is considered standard for setting a marketing budget. Yes. So uh, the thing to remember here is to make a plan, set it in your heart, commit to it, and then follow it. Uh, just like they did. They committed to spend 20% and they've been doing it uh, and it's worked extremely well if for them. If you don't them. know how to make the most of that 20%, um, hire a professional. Plug. <laughs> um, number two yes. was to embrace every opportunity to communicate your brand. So we talked about uh, B2B marketing strategies, uh, also thinking internally and externally. Yeah, for, don't forget about your the target people that distribute your product, on both the, sides. the businesses. Mm -hmm. yeah. And uh, use relative promo items. The, my key there is relative. not use promo items. It's use relative promo items and marketing, advertising, etc. Mm -hmm. that reflects your audience and your brand. You remember the Coca-Cola girl was a reflection of their customers. People like to see themselves. So uh, it's a reflection of your customers, a reflection of your brand. Be strategic in how you communicate your business. So Stand that's out. Be different. That's number two. Number three thing that we talked about was uh, the brand being more than a look. Mm -hmm. So uh, though the look is important, and the look is important because it's quick and easy to recognize. When you see a Coca-Cola bottle, it's red. You know exactly what it is, the shape of the bottle. Yeah. Has which anybody we'll ever picked later. up an RC uh, can and been like, that? whoa, wait. No. <laughs> so nice the, the the look is important, but it's also feel and character, the personality of the company. Something that people can relate to outside mm -hmm. of consumerism. So be sure that you're showcasing who you are rather than simply what you do. For Coke, that included everyday enjoyment and refreshment. We talked about that all throughout the episode. So um, number four, what was number four? Uh, number four is if it works, stick with it. Yes. Because it will yield long-term success. Consistency leads to being remembered. So if you have something and it looks one way one time, and then when they look at it next time it looks different, that doesn't help them remember that it's the same thing. Mm. Uh, because it's like having to start all, 
start all over again yeah. each time. So consistency leads to being remembered. If it ain't um, broke, don't fix it. <laughs> that was a lesson from the Coca-Cola girls where they use the same girl in uh, in everything, you know, until that girl model retired and they got and a then new they one. got Vivian. Um, and then Santa Claus uh, as well. They use Santa Claus, um, you know, for years and years and years for their seasonal advertising. Be consistent, be remembered. Yeah, because um, at some point your customer base are going to come to expect certain things out of your uh, out of it if you do it well and that's a compliment. Mm-hmm. If all of a sudden we stopped seeing the Budweiser dogs or if we stopped seeing Santa for for um, Coke, we're going to be disappointed as a consumer base that you don't want to disappoint your consumer base. Number 5. Yes. Measure your business's success and build strategies based on those results. Uh, we just talked about that with seasonal advertising. Mm-hmm. Measure your business's success, build your strategy so that you can reach the goal that you want as a result. So those are the five lessons, five lessons. from today's episode. I'm parched. Now I want something to drink. You have something. I do. I have this, Coke Zero, which is amazing, but we'll get that in a new podcast, not this one. We're still talking about the history, but that's it for our show today on Coca-Cola. Be sure to tune in next time when we continue to learn lessons from the history of Coca-Cola. The next episode is going to be centered around mystery, imitation, and war. Find out what I mean on the next episode of Straight Shot Marketing Podcast. Be sure to subscribe if you are watching us on YouTube. Hit the little bell to receive notifications. Or go ahead and text the word Reformation, Reformation, to 90210 to be notified via text message on your cell phone when new episodes are released. Until next time, guys. Bye. Thank you for listening. If you found this podcast informative, we hope you'll pass along our web address, straightshot.net to your friends, colleagues, and business associates. And please leave us a positive review on iTunes or on our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash straightshot. If you would like to have your question featured on the show or would like to be a guest, call 678-825-8086, extension 300. Or you can email us at info at straightshot.net. Be sure to download the Straight Shot Podcast app on your smartphone to hear previous and new shows. You can also find us on Spotify, iTunes, or directly at straightshot.net. This has been Straight Shot. 